I'm going to read from Isaiah now. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is discarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Well, here we are in the middle of May, continuing a series that we've been in for a few weeks called Verses You Should Memorize and Why. And the point is that we're taking a look at some of these popular verses that you will often see on motivational posters and placards and cottages and stuff like that. And we want to take a look at what these familiar words mean. Because the fact that some of these passages are popular, that's a good thing, but do we know why? Do we know why they matter? And are we maybe making some mistakes along the way? I was reading something in the news maybe two or three weeks ago about an elderly Australian couple. They had a ring at the door and they answered the door and there was a package that was delivered. Kind of each of them assumed that the other had ordered something, so they signed for this package and they bring it in and they're like, oh, did you order something? Well, I didn't. And did you order something? Well, I didn't either. So they thought, well, let's open it and see what it is. So they opened this package up and what they found inside was 20 kilograms or $7 million worth of meth. Uh, and so this couple is like, something's not right with this picture. So they called the police. And evidently, the person who was, they were trying to send it to someone else, and they wrote the wrong address on the package. Now, I have no experience in dealing drugs, but if I was doing that, I would probably double check that I got the right address, right? So anyways, they get this package, they're excited about it, and they discover that actually the thing that they were momentarily excited about is actually something really negative. And I think this, this can give us a bit of a sense of when we read some of these passages, some of these popular verses of the Bible, we have an expectation, we think we know what it is, but then it can become disappointing if we don't read it and understand it properly. There's this line from Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Christian author. He says, there is nothing more important in the Christian life than the way in which we approach the Bible and the way in which we read it. We know nothing of God and about the Christian life in a true sense apart from the Bible. And so a couple of things, obviously if we fail to read the Bible at all, then we miss out on so much of what God wants us to know about life and faith. But at the same time, if we fail to understand what we're reading, well, are we any better off? And so this morning, uh, Laura read this passage for us, and the verse that I want us to ponder memorizing, uh, committing to memory, uh, is Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I'm sure that we've all seen posters like this. You've seen these things around with the soaring eagle and the sunset usually, or maybe there's mountains and a lake or something like that in these words that we can soar like eagles. But before we talk about hope, we have to start with the reason to have hope in the first place. Hospitals are built in a response to people who are ill, or injured. Courthouses are a response to people who commit crimes. Schools are a response to a need for education. Hope is likewise a response to a distinct impression we have that things are not as they should be. Something is wrong with our world, and so we need something in order to address it and to fix it, and that thing is hope. If everything in our lives and in the world around us was running smoothly with them, we wouldn't need hope. 
There's this great passage in Romans chapter 8, um, and we're going to come back to it a, a couple of times this morning. Paul writes, he says, hope that is seen, well, that's not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? It's like this line I heard this week, what do you get when you cross a joke and a rhetorical question? <laughs> that blow your mind for a second. No, like who hopes for what they already have? Well, the answer is obvious. Nobody. Nobody hopes for what they already have. We hope for things that are missing in our lives and in the world around us. And things are missing. Maybe your health is missing. Maybe a job opportunity is missing. Maybe your relationship is missing. Maybe a sense of purpose is missing. Maybe a good night's sleep is missing. I don't know. I mean, the list could go on. The things that are missing, the things that are not as they should be, is long. And there's no way around it. Sometimes life is just plain difficult. The passage from Job 14.1 puts it well. How frail is humanity? How short is life? How full of trouble? Now, not always, of course. Life isn't always full of trouble. There's a lot of good about it. I wanted to share, as we do every long weekend when our youth go on a trip, a couple of pictures from Phoenix Fest. This is it, and I thought I'd show this one. This is, uh, this is basically kind of our, one of our worship teams up there uh, who are leading uh, worship at Phoenix Fest. It was a youth camping weekend uh, in Paris. And then some pictures of the kids. For those of you who are parents and have your, your kids uh, away on this, there are some of them. Uh, obviously, this was not taken today because they're wearing blankets and sweaters. Uh, so obviously, they're dealing with the different elements. But they're going to have a blast. They're out there having a great time. But what we're reminded in this passage is that even youths grow tired and weary. So even, even these kids who are having an awesome time, even when things are growing great, even when you're in the, the prime of life, so to speak, you can grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. This is a reminder that the best and most fortunate of us will face trials one way or another. So what are we supposed to do when we're tired and weary of life? Well, part of our challenge, I like the words of Richard Rohr, he says that we have to explore the struggle to forgive reality for being exactly what it is right now. Isn't that great? We have to engage the struggle to forgive reality for being exactly what it is right now. In the present moment, can we just address that this is my life, this is my situation, this is where I find myself, and just acknowledge that that is where I am. Now, I, I gotta say, like, you know what, when I'm writing a message like this, I'm thinking, about how does this apply to people in our church community. And in the middle of writing this, someone from our church family actually popped by my office and sat down and we talked and they shared about what they were going through in life. And it was just like, I was like, how do I use words to even express what this person is going through? Like, I don't even, I feel like I can't even talk about this. And, and that's one story in our community. And stories like that are multiplied all over this room and in, and in all the people who aren't here this morning. The reality is life can be so incredibly challenging. And it can be a struggle to forgive reality for being exactly what it is right now. Sometimes it can feel like we have too much life experience to have hope. We know that it's not worth it. We know that all of the hope we put out there, it doesn't come to anything. And so it can be easy for us to give up. But while it's true that we have to own the present moment, we don't have to stay there. And I love this line from Dickens as he speaks about a character who is waiting, a loved one, hoping that they would return home. From the death of each day's hope, another hope sprung up to live tomorrow. When one day didn't bring about the results they were hoping for, well, at least the next day provided a new opportunity. 
Now, the context of this passage, Isaiah 40, it was written after Israel had been exiled by the neighboring Babylonians, and God's people were left wondering if God could save them, if God would save them. Like, can God even fix this problem that we're in? And if he can, will he? Like, does he even care about us anymore? These are the kind of questions they're asking. And so God speaks through the prophet Jeremiah saying, comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now this word comfort in Hebrew is nachamu, which basically, it doesn't mean comfort as in like wrapping a warm blanket and, and give a cup of like warm soup to. It means something a little more challenging than that. It's more like, uh, as one commentary says, God is saying, encourage my people. In the midst of their discourage them, give them courage. That's what it means to comfort them. Speak tenderly to them. Speak to their hearts. Tell them, I want to deliver you. Now, Frederick Nietzsche would warn against this. He says that hope is the worst of all evils, for it prolongs the torments of man. Far from bringing comfort, holding out false hopes will only lead to despair. That's the suggestion that we should just give in to despair and acknowledge that this is all that there is to life, that this is what we have in the moment and this is what we have to look forward to. Don't waste your time or your energy hoping that things will ever improve. I was having coffee with someone from the church this week and we were talking and, and somehow the conversation of our early, early days uh, planting the embassy 20 years ago, our student congregation uh, came up and I was just telling a little bit of the story of what it was like and, and I was reminded of this part of the story and I'm sure that I've shared this at some point with you but uh, in those early weeks, I mean, I had finished studying theology, Melissa was working retail and, and we were getting by on a real, real shoestring budget um, but we had this big vision to start this church for students and a few weeks into this, maybe a month into this, we were just like, you know, so excited with how this is going. We weren't really thinking about the long term but then we had this incredible offer about this man who, who we found out this wealthy businessman and he was uh, a friend of, of our, our friend's father and uh, basically what happened was he was uh, taking all of this money that he had made uh, in investments and in mining out west in the U.S. and he was going to start this charity to invest in churches and and university campuses and, and we were so excited and we were going to be the first people who was going to support and so to make a very long story short, we got the check, our first check in the mail, and it was this amount that we could never even imagine. It was so far beyond our little shoestring budget dreams. We were so excited about it. But the check was made out to, to the church we were attending instead of to us, and they wouldn't cash it. So, the, so basically, we had to ask him to send another check. And so they said, well, it'll be there in a week. And then we waited a week, and it didn't come. And then, and then we waited another week, and it didn't come. And we would, we would call and say, like, you know, we haven't got that check yet. Well, it's in the mail. Oh, oh there's, there's problems with transfer the funds. Oh, it's, it's a wire thing. Oh, it's a, it's a U.S. to Canadian dollar thing. It's a, oh, there's something in Europe going on. And the weeks went by. This started at the beginning of October, and November went by, and December went by. And finally, in January, Melissa and I just looked at each other and realized that, that we were kind of wasting our time hoping that this check will ever arrive. And it never did, and we never saw a nickel of the support. So there is an element of, of, of hope where you feel like, well, what's the point? You know, I, I just wait and wait and nothing ever comes. And that's how the story ends. But God says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. I mean, think of what these people were going through. Their entire, like, way of being, their entire livelihood had been stripped away from them from an invading army. And they were just like, God has disappeared. He is not sending this check in the mail. It's not happening. 
And that's a normal reaction for us to have. Philip Yancey makes this great observation. He says that pain narrows vision. The most private of sensations, it causes us to think of ourselves and little else. Now, I don't want you to hear this as a judgment. This isn't like a moral judgment, that this is a bad thing you're doing. It isn't something to feel guilty about. It's a survival tactic. It's something that's built into us, that we're wired to do, that when we feel pain, we have to take care of ourselves first. And when that's physical pain, you know what it's like. When you're like really sick or when you have some kind of a serious injury, you don't care about anyone or anything else. You can only really focus on yourself. And that's a good thing because you've got to keep yourself alive in that moment. And of course, if it's not physical pain, if it was emotional pain or relational pain, sometimes it consumes you and it's all that you can think about. And so that pain narrows our vision and all that we can think about is, is ourselves in that moment. Our hope is tested a thousand times a day by the inevitability of life. And then Isaiah's works, words break through and they remind us that things change when God enters the equation. Again, it's a normal thing for pain to narrow our vision, for us to focus only on ourselves, for us to assume that God is not even active, not even taking care of us. But then these words break out and say, wait a second, have you forgotten? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. So even when the check doesn't come, even when the illness doesn't subside, even when the relationship seems broken, God is still God. The situation is not over. I can't remember the timeline, but if we go back to that first year or two, again, you know, we're kind of going by, and, and Melissa and I reached a point where, uh, where we realized that we couldn't continue to go on without any income at all. Uh, like, we had literally zero dollars in the bank. A good dinner was grilled cheese, um, and it was just a, it was a rough season of life. But we came to the point where we said, like, God actually either has to just provide for us, or I realize I'm going to have to go back to work and I'll do the church thing on the side because this isn't actually sustainable. Like we can't actually just pay our rent. And uh, this guy we knew, he was a grad student at Laurier uh, and it's a, kind of a friend of ours and he had been connected with the embassy at the beginning. He, he, sent, a, he sent us a note and said, I want to go, I want to take you guys out for dinner. And so he said, just get up dressed, I'm going to take you out to a nice restaurant. And so uh, he said, I'll pick you up. I'll come by at whatever time and pick you up. So he shows up at our door. I open the door. We're all dressed up, and he's there in jeans and a T-shirt. And he said, I'm not actually coming. He said, I'm going to send you guys out on a date. And so he gives us this nice big gift card to Charcoal Steakhouse and a, and a letter inside. And he says, just wait until you're at the restaurant to open the letter. And so we go there, and we're like, oh, this is such a great thing. Like, who is that generous to send us out for this really fancy dinner? And then we open the card, and inside the card is a letter where he explains that he has set up a fund to support us by giving us $500 a month to help us keep our focus on the church that God had called us to build. And we were just like so incredibly overwhelmed. Like that, you may be thinking $500, no, that was, that was like the world to us at that time. And it allowed me to continue focusing on what God had called me to. You see, even when, even when the check doesn't come, like even when whatever it is that we're hoping for isn't working out, like God is still the everlasting God. He's still the creator of the ends of the earth. There's still a way for people to, for God to use people or use circumstances to come through for us. No, it's not going to be in our timing. That's part of what this, the passage from Romans 8 reminds us. So the idea, like, no, we don't hope for the things that we already have. Paul goes on to say, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently, Right? 
And so there's different translations of our memory verse this morning. Those who hope in the Lord, uh, some of the other translations, older translations will say those who wait upon the Lord. And that's the song we sang this morning, those who wait upon the Lord, right? So there's this waiting. That hoping is a waiting patiently. Hope wouldn't be the virtue it is if it led us to a quick resolution. A quick resolution is called a wish. That's like conjuring the powers of a blue Will Smith in the new Aladdin movie. Like I just rub the, the lamp and all of a sudden, you know, my situation is resolved. That's what we think hope is, right? When we don't get the response that we're looking for, it's like, oh, well, God's not even out there. No, hope, if we cling to hope, then we wait for it patiently. Henry now has another way of saying it. He says, we wish that we hope in. So we wish that this or that situation would happen, but we hope in God because he will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Because God doesn't grow, grow weary, he gives us the strength when we grow weary. And so part of the thing that this verse does, far from give us an idea that, that automatically our circumstances will be changed. It reminds us that God actually doesn't always change our circumstances, but he changes us, that he encourages us, fills us with courage. Uh, last week, I, I saw my doctor this week. A number of months ago, actually, I don't even know if I've mentioned this, but a number of months ago, I had an accident and tore my uh, meniscus in my left knee. Uh, it, was a, it was a really traumatic accident. I was I was bending over getting a load of laundry, um, and I stood up, and I felt a pop in my knee. That's what happens on the other side of 40, sorry to, sorry to tell you that. Uh, so anyways, I've been limping around and dealing with this for months, and then I went to, got an MRI about three weeks ago, and finally went in and saw the doctor, and, and he's reading the report, and he's like, yeah, it's tear. I'm like, yeah, I know. And he's like, okay, so I'll recommend you for surgery or whatever to see a, a surgeon. Anyways, I said, can I have a copy of the report? And he's like, uh, sure. I said, well, I'd just like to you know, bring it to my physiotherapist so maybe she has an idea of how to handle this. And, and I'm reading the report, and it's like, it's like another language. I don't know if you've ever read an MRI report, but it's, I don't even know what these things are. I feel actually really discouraged after reading it because I'm like, there must be a lot more wrong with me. Like to say torn meniscus, like if that's all it was, I'd be like, okay, I get it. But it's like all of this stuff. This is all the things we saw when we looked at an image of his knee. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Maybe, there's, maybe this is worse than I thought. Now, this morning's memory verse presents us with an image of those who are in the depths of despair, those people who have lost all hope, rising up and soaring victoriously. This passage isn't unreadable. It's not that we don't understand the words. It's not like it's another language that we, we don't even understand what Isaiah's talking about. But we may find it unbelievable, right? If it's not unreadable, we may find it unbelievable. Is this actually going to happen? That those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength? that they will soar on wings like eagles, that they will run and not grow weary, that they will not walk and not be faint. Now, one of the things that I love about preaching a passage like this is that God is the only one who can prove that what I'm saying is true. Like, this is not about, like, you, like, getting something intellectually. That's not what this passage is about. This is about you actually putting trust in God, and there's nothing that I or anyone else can do to really finish that sentence. It's God who has to finish it. We put our trust in God, and then, well... Really, I did my part, and then God has to come through. And that's the beauty of this, right? We're invited to trust, to take him at his word, to risk taking God at his word, to hope in the Lord. That's what this is about. Now, another passage we could have had as a verse in this series, because this is another one that people like memorizing, is in that same passage from Romans 8 that I've been reading from. Verse 28 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. This is another off-quoted passage, right? 
But do we know it? Do I know it? And do you know it? That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Again, this is not a promise to remove our obstacles. It is not a promise to eliminate our challenges, but a promise to renew our strength so we can overcome obstacles and face our challenges. And part of the thing that I don't know that we always get in this passage is because we see this image of, of the eagle flying and soaring. That's always the image that goes along with this passage. But, but it really says, like, you'll soar on wings like eagles. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not be faint. And I, and I was reading it and thinking, like, it's almost like, well, maybe you won't soar exactly. And actually, maybe you won't even run. But, like, at the least, God will give you the strength to walk. At the least, God will give you the strength to put one foot in front of the other. You're not going to have to crawl through life. Like, that's, that's what's being said here. Maybe we get to the soaring like eagles. But at the very least, we can put one foot in front of the other because God is with us. Marvadon says that instead of being either pessimists or optimists, Christians are hopeful realists. It's this wedding of the acknowledging the reality, as unfortunate as it may be of our current situations, but hoping for something other. And as John Vanier closes his, his beautiful book, Becoming Human, uh, we are simply human beings enfolded in weakness and hope. That's what it means to be human, to be enfolded in weakness and hope. And so we stand here in the midst of the way things are, trusting that God is with us in it all. Now I'm going to invite Sarah and the team to come on back up and those who are going to be serving communion because we're going to wrap up our time together by sharing in the Lord's Supper and by singing a song in response. So I've put on the screen a couple of times here this, this memory verse with the eagles in the background, but I'm going to put it up just plain for you here to finish up. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. These are words that we ought to burn into our hearts. Why, as one author says, the point is to let the drone of these words that we know by heart become a thin place. When we memorize words like this, when we commit them to our heart, when we recall them, then it's not an intellectual effort to remember the words, but it, it creates a place for us to connect and commune with God. And that's what we're going to do this morning in the ceremony of communion where we have these earthly elements, which are maybe a symbol of just the reality of everyday life, bread and juice, but they symbolize something so much more. They symbolize the bigger and the grander life that we're a part of. They symbolize the hope that we can have, that even in the mundane, there's hope for something beautiful, that even in, in bread, there is a reminder that Christ's body was broken for us, that even in a little tiny cup of juice, there's a reminder that this isn't just juice, but this is actually, there's the hope of redemption, of forgiveness in that cup. And so let these symbols be a reminder to us that in the midst of whatever is going on in our lives, that there is something that greater and bigger going on there. So I'm going to invite you to come in a moment and take the elements. If you are not comfortable participating, that is absolutely fine. We just encourage you to use this time for some own, your own personal reflection. But if you do come, I'm going to ask you to actually eat the bread and drink the cup either up here or back in your seat. We're not going to wait for everyone else to get back this morning um, because once everyone has had a chance to go through, we're going to actually stand and sing a song in response together. Um, but the first song is going to be a new one for most of you. And as you line up and come forward, I'd encourage you to pay attention to the lyrics because it's a beautiful invitation. Come out of sadness from wherever you've been. Come brokenhearted, let rescue begin.
And so if you're tired and weary, come. If your strength is failing you, come. If you've stumbled and fallen down, come. And even if you think God has disregarded your cause, come. God, we speak these words in faith, in hope, in trust, maybe in hope against everything that's around us from day to day. Or maybe in hope in light of the way that we've seen you come through for us time and time again. It doesn't really matter. It's an expression of our faith and our trust that you love us, that you are for us, and that you can bring us through anything. So God, I ask that these words would ring true, that we would remember that when we hope in you, that you give us the strength we need, to soar, to run, to walk. Help us to be an encouragement to one another. And in the moments this week when we find ourselves turning our eyes inward, call out to us and invite us to turn our eyes to you instead. Amen.